How you doing, Purpose Claremont? Hey, I was just going through First uh, Samuel in our reading plan as we're going through the Read Scripture app. And so today's reading was First Samuel 4 to 8, and I think it was Psalm 79, I think, is what we uh, finished off in Psalm 79. A couple of things just stood out, so I just wanted to share these. Um, hopefully they're encouragement, hopefully they're a blessing, or a challenge. There might be a challenge in here as well. As I was looking at it, I was challenged with a couple of things. So let's pray uh, before we jump in. God, thank you so much for your word, and we thank you that you gave it to us, that we might know you better. Uh, we might know our plight. We might know that you are the remedy. Um, that we might enter into covenant relationship with you. Um, thank you for revealing truth to us as we spend time with you. Thank you that you want us to know you better. And so speak to us as, you, as only you can. We pray this in your name. Amen. So First Samuel chapter 4, starting verse 1. I'm just going to read 1 through 11. Stop a couple points that kind of stood out, but starting verse 1. Uh, and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They camped at, Eben, uh, at Ebenezer. At Ebenezer, boy, that was hard to get out. At, they camped at Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. The Philistines drew up in line against Israel, and when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. When the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. Now, that's the part that stood out. Um, as you look at it, so they get defeated. These are God's people, and he lets them get jacked. I mean, 4,000 soldiers died that day. Um, and so they, they lose. That's a huge amount of people. They ask, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? And then they come up with this idea. Okay, so this is what we're going to do. Uh, because we know the stories of the past, uh, they're not following the God of the stories of the past. They're just remember the stories. They come up with this idea: let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from the Shiloh, from Shiloh, that it may come among come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. So it's like it, it, at no point do they say, "Let us go to God." Let us go to the Lord. They say, "Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant." It's kind of like using God or treating God uh, like a like a spiritual good luck charm. And so I guess. Uh, I wrote this question down. Do you ever or have you ever used God um, as a spiritual good luck charm? Um, do you do you sit there and go, okay, so if I go to church, when I say go to church, like go to a worship service or do I put money in the tithe or um, do I do a few good things? So then I do those certain things so that I'll appease God and I'll have good things in my life. I'll have good luck. So is it like you go through the motions in order to get the blessing of God all the while neglecting the relationship that God is offering with himself to us? Um, are, we, are, we, are we more about God's stuff than we are about God? And so here they just want to defeat the Philistines, but they don't want God. So they want God's blessing. They want God's victory. And then they're, they're sitting there going, well, why, why did God let us, let us lose? Why has the Lord defeated us? Um, well, they're not wanting God, so how could it, how could they expect that God would bless them when it's not God that they're wanting? They just want His stuff. And so, do you treat God like a good luck charm? Uh, do you do enough good things so that you have good luck, or is it about God? It's like I want Him, I want a relationship with Him, or just His stuff. And so, this is kind of going to those that maybe you you're more uh, uh, you're kind of like a nominal Christian. That what that is is kind of like you you go to church when it's convenient, uh, mostly Easter's and Easter and Christmas and the big holidays or every once in a while, just to kind of put in your, your time so that, that God will be good to you and that God will be nice to you. All the while missing the whole point. Like he's, there's even parts, I think it's in Isaiah, I think it's Isaiah, 
where he's like, you, you, like you come, you come to me with, or you come near to me with your, with your mouth, like you say these things, but your heart's far from me. And it's like, don't even think that I'm listening to your worship or to your praises because it's, your heart's not behind it. I'm not, I'm not accepting your sacrifices because it's just, it's just menial uh, religiosity. It's just f- fulfilling a duty that you think that if you do these things that you'll have my blessing. Guys, that's not what he wants. Um, so what he's wanting actually from the people is repentance. And so um, you verse four, so the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts who is enthroned on the cherubim. And I said, notice it says the ark of the covenant. They brought it of the Lord of hosts. Okay, so that's whose it is. Who is enthroned on the cherubim? It's like, okay, so let's remember who this is really about. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas were there with the ark of the covenant of God. As soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. When the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, What does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? When they learned that the Ark of the Lord had come to the camp, the Philistines were afraid, for they said, A God has come into the camp. Now, And you can stop there for just a second. You can understand why they would jump to that conclusion, being that they were a people who had their own God um, that you read in chapter five named Dagon. And there's an idol, an idol that they would worship of Dagon, uh, that they could see their quote unquote, their God, their false God, but they could see their God. And so to the Philistines, this ark that was being brought, this this ark of the Lord, they would see as a God has come into the camp. They would see this this ark as the God of Israel. And the thing is, it's kind of like Israel was treating the ark of the Lord as a God. And remember, I mean, the people of Israel have, they've kind of wandered away. They're running from God. There's not a lot of following of the law, the things that God had set up in the, in the law, the first five books of the, of the Bible. That's not really happening. So the spiritual climate of Israel is kind of at an all time low. So for them to worship the ark rather than the God of the ark is normal for them and where they are. Uh, and then they said, uh, verse as we continue on in verse 7, and they said, Woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us, who can, who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods, and they picture not just one God, even though we know, according to Deuteronomy chapter, I think chapter 6, verse 4, Hear, hear O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's only one God, there are no other gods. To the Philistines, there these are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. Take courage and be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. Verse 10, so the Philistines fought. And you would think, well, the Israelites are sitting on, we got the ark. I mean, the ark is what split the Red Sea. The ark is what stopped the the river uh, the, the river from, the river back when they were coming to the promised land, the Jordan River. It stopped it uh, during flood season. And um, and as they stood in there with the ark, people crossed over, and then they came out with the ark. So these are this is a powerful thing, except they think that the thing is a powerful thing. It's actually the God behind the thing. So their picture, they're going to win. Israel was defeated, and they fled, every man to his home. And there was a very great slaughter, for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell. First time, 4,000. Second time, 30,000. And the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. So what, what's the importance of that last part? I mean, that's kind of you, how you finish. That's like the battle happened. 30,000 guys die. The Ark of the Covenant, which is kind of representing the very presence of God, is gone. And then the two sons of Eli, these two priests, um, they die. What's the, what's the important about that? When you go back to chapter 2, verse 12, uh, it says this. The scriptures say, now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord, which is weird because they were the priests of God and they didn't know the Lord. So if any, if there's anyone listening who's a 
pastor or, um, or a shepherd of your, of your home church or your church, um, we got to make sure that we are people that know God. Like we know him. It's about him. It's not just about, hey, I was trained up in um, how to lead a church and I was trained up in how to put together a message and I was trained up in all these ministry strategies and programs. And I've, I've got a great record. I've got tons of people coming. That's fine and good. And maybe not even that great. If it's, if it's just about gathering a crowd, I don't know that that's impressive. It's about making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. But if we're not passionate about God, like we don't have a relationship with him, but it's the most important thing that if we had to stop being a pastor today, we know who we are because we love Jesus. It's all about him. These priests, these two sons did not know the Lord. What they were doing is they would, they would and then when um, you get into chapter two, um, starting after that, so around verse, uh, it's around verse 12, I think, where, well, that's what it says, the sons were, were worthless. What they would do is they would take the sacrifices that a few people, the, people, the few people that were bringing in sacrifices, they would take, um, and they would take the best parts of those sacrifices to feed themselves, even though those best parts were for God. Um, you get to verse 17, and uh, it says this, thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. He's like, I don't accept the offering. And the sin was very great. It was a very great thing in the sight of the Lord. Remember, what God thinks about our conduct is what really matters. Not if I can justify it and get enough people around me to agree with me. It's what does the scripture say? We go back to the Bible. And God's like, hey, I have an opinion on what is right and what is wrong. And it's not just an opinion. He's the standard of truth. So therefore, he is the standard of what right is and what wrong is. And so then you get down to verse uh, chapter 2, verse 22. And God's still going kind of, now he sent a, he's a, he sent a man of God like a prophet uh, uh, to Eli, who's uh, these two boys' dad, but he's the priest. He's the high priest for the people of Israel. And he says, uh, it says this, Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting. I mean, it's like, guys, this is, not only are you taking the best of the sacrifices, now you're having sex with the women who are serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting. I mean, this has just become so corrupt and nasty and if you really look at if you look at Eli's response to him, it's like he brings it up, but he never he never disciplines. He never he doesn't take them out of their positions. He just kind of says, "What you're doing is not right." Well, why? Because you get to verse twenty nine. Says, and this is the man of God who's speaking to Eli. Um, he's speaking very direct. Says, "Why then do you scorn my sacrifices?" This is the this is God speaking through the man of God. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling? And honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel. So it's not like he's not, Eli's innocent. The fact that he says above, above, above me by fattening yourselves, that means Eli's eating of the best parts of the offering as well. So he's guilty. So what's the importance in chapter 411 that the two sons of Eli die? When you look at chapter 2, verse 34 to 35, it says this, and this shall come upon your, your two sons. It's kind of like, just so you know that what I'm saying is true. All these punishments are coming, and there's more written in there, but just to kind of bring a connection to chapter 4, verse 11, and 2, 34 to 35, and this shall come upon your two sons, uh, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day, and I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And that's what we're supposed to be going after, especially, again, if you're leading a ministry, whether you're leading a ministry within Purpose Claremont or you're involved in ministry Purpose Claremont or you're listening to this and you're outside of Purpose Claremont, 
We're supposed to be doing everything according to what is in the heart and mind of God. It's about him. Like every thought that comes to my mind is not automatically what it is that he wants. Every thought that comes to my mind might actually be of me. And so there may be some things that God's like, I want you to do this and we need to pay attention to that. And then we pray and we pray and we pray and then we ask people their opinions and we work through it. And God might actually go, hey, I was just checking to see if you were listening. Or two, hey, that's a great idea, but that's not for you. You're supposed to prepare the next person or the next generation for that. I'm just asking you to start it. Or it might be, I want you to start it. But our goal is to make sure that we're doing everything according to what is in the heart and mind of God. So that stood out to me. So then from there, you get to chapter 5. And now the ark has been taken. Um, It's with the people, uh, the Philistines. They put it before their god, Dagon, um, in the temple or whatever it is that they've set up for Dagon. So in chapter 5, verse 1, when the Philistines captured the ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside beside Dagon. as, As if they're equals. There's two gods here. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the Ark of the Lord. So again, for those that say, I need to defend God. So when people put God down, they put Jesus down, and we say, I need to defend him. Think about it. Like God's God's all-powerful. He's omnipotent. He's sovereign. He's in charge of everything. I just can't find a place where he's like, you need to defend me, defend me, defend me, as if he's weak or insecure. He's completely content. There is no person that is following Yahweh in chapter 5. The Ark of the Covenant is in, is in some, is in some uh, temple or house of a false god, and God makes this false god bow down to the Ark of the Lord. So this is what they did. So they took Dagon, put him back in his place. And here's the thing. If you have to move your god and put him back into place, he may not be a god worth following. Verse 4, but when when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. The head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. It got worse. It's like not only not only is he bowed down, but like his head's cut off and his hands are cut off. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. This is why the priests of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod this day. To this day, guys, God can defend himself. He knows exactly, exactly what he's doing. But then you continue. Now watch this. Verse 6. The hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod, and he, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. So again, God's defending himself. When the men of Ashdod saw, these, saw, things, uh, saw how things were, they said, The ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is hard against us and against Dagon, our God. So think about it. You have your God, Dagon. This is the Philistines. They have their God. It's false God, but they have their God. And it's getting jacked up by the God of the Philistine, or not Philistines, the God of Israel. And so what they do is they get rid of the God of Israel. They think that it's the God of Israel they're getting rid of. They get rid of the Ark of the Covenant because they need to protect their God. Here's the thing. If you have to put your God back into place, it's not worth following. If you have to defend your God as if it's weak because something else is stronger than it, it's not worth following. My question is, have you allowed something to become more important, something that you worship, something that's become kind of taken place of God? Have you allowed that thing to become more important than God and you're defending? So, I mean, it doesn't have to be like a car or house. It could be. And it could also be a relationship with a person that you're not supposed to be in a relationship with. And maybe God going, I don't want that for you. That is not pleasing to me. That relationship does not propel you forward in following me. I want you to pull back away from that. Guys, There are times where we are going to be tempted to place things above God, to have an idol that's more important to us than God is. And God's going to sit there and and 
He's going to confront that every single time. But again, anything that falls down before God is not worth worshiping as more important than God. And that's what they were doing. That's what the Philistines were doing. It's like, we got to get rid of this ark, which is they would see as God, so we can so we can protect Dagon. I would think if this if if the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Lord, which they would see as a God, beats up their God, maybe they should switch their gods. And so um, that stood out in First Samuel, and then in closing, First Samuel chapter eight, one to twenty. Um, so one through nine, the people uh, the people of Israel ask uh, Samuel, it's like we want a king, we want a king, just like all the other nations. Um, all the other nations have kings, we want a king. Um, and Samuel is hurt by it. He goes to God. So Samuel prays, verse seven. The Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. So it's like, just do what they say. But then he gives them this warning. says, you shall, this is verse nine, you shall solemnly, solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. And so then Samuel tells him, it's like, understand this. And then he, listen, listen to this. Like, think of what they're exchanging. And I might throw in a couple things here and there. Um, of what they're exchanging. They want a king, an earthly king, a human who's a king, rather than the king that has led them up to this point so far. So it says this, so Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. And he said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to his horsemen and to run before his chariots. Now here's the, you will see this phrase, he will take, he will take, he will take. That's what an earthly king does. He will take, he will take, he will take. And God's in there going, like when you look in Deuteronomy, he's getting ready to give the, the promised land to the people of Israel. How often do you see God saying, and I will give you this choice land and it's filled with all these delicacies and fruit and like milk and honey. It's like he's saying, it's so good, but I'm giving it to you. In fact, I'm giving it to you and you don't even have to work. You don't have to dig the wells. You don't have to work the land. It's going to come with all of it. So God is this generous God compared to this king who will take. And then he will send your sons ahead of his chariots, like before his chariots. But when you, when you, look, in, when you look throughout the, the Old Testament so far, what we've looked at, God's the God who goes before us and he fights for us. And yet the earthly king's going to say, no, I'm going to put your sons in front of me so that they can fight for me because I don't want to die. So I want you, I want them to have to deal with it. And God's in there going, I will fight for you. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to go before you. I'm going to handle it. And then you're going to come. Like you're going to come after me, but you're going to come with me. We're going to fight this together, but I'm going before you. Uh, he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands, commanders of fifties, and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take, do you hear, the, do you hear it repeated over? He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be as slaves. It's like, you're not going to be free. It's like, you're going to go right back into slavery. You were in slavery with the Egyptians. For 400 years, you're in slavery. God brought you out. He gave you freedom. You follow him. In him is freedom. He's God. He's king. Um, he blesses. As you obey, he blesses. Now you want someone to take over who will be king, but you will be his slaves. And in that day, you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. Like, this is all on you, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Now watch the people's response. Like with everything he just stated, I would, I mean, I would hope that I would sit there and go, gosh, that's a tall order. Like I don't want him to take, I don't want him to take. But again, I don't know how long this, um, 
I don't know how long this spiritual drought has been. I do know that between chapter 7, verse 2, and chapter 7, verse 3, there's 20 years. And so there, it's not, don't just picture like this day one and then just follows on a few days here and there. No, there's some years that have been passing through. But guys, listen to the response. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations. Guys, there's got to be something in us where we don't want to be like everybody else. There's got to be something where we see how great, how good God really is, how incredible Jesus is. Well, we're not trying to be like everybody else. We're not trying to be, um, we're, not, we're not looking at other nations or other neighbors. We're not trying to have everything that they have because that's what they have and I need to keep up. I don't want to be like them. Like when we look at God, no, I don't want to be like that. Notice that it says that we, may, that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go before us and fight about us. Now here's the thing. When he says, and go before us, Samuel just got done saying, he will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to, and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And yet in their head, they didn't hear it. They didn't hear what he said. They didn't hear that statement because in their minds, this king will go out before us and fight our battles. And friends, God's called us to fight our own battles. Like he, he fights for us. He goes before us. But then he calls us to go with him. He calls us to fight. Guys, we can't keep asking other people to fight our own battles. Like we can't just be looking at everybody else going, I need you to do this for me because I don't want to do it myself. And in other words, it's like they want to sit back and be lazy rather than follow God, go where he says to go, do what he says to do, but knowing that God has gone before him, preparing the way and trusting him for his provision and protection. And so the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. And then you see in chapter 9, we start this tomorrow, where they, 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 uh, they choose Saul, and then it just gets weird. Oh, all the kings after that. I mean, there's, there's a few that are amazing, um, but most of them are just jacked. They're just jacked of weird. Um, but it's, it's why? Because people wanted to be like everybody else. They want to be like all the other nations, all the pomp and circumstance that comes with royalty. It's almost like you can begin to worship. It's like, you know, the people of Israel were about worshiping another God. As you look in the old Testament, just as we're prone to wander, so were they, but they want to be like everybody else. And then you see where it takes them and we'll continue on with that tomorrow. So I pray that this blesses you guys. I love you more than, you know, um, Jesus is worth it. You guys have a great one. We'll talk to you later.